Thank you, thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. One day at a time, sweet Jesus, you bring us through. You asked us to ask for daily bread. And you've been faithful, Lord. You've been faithful. You have provided us with what we need every day. Sustenance for our body. Peace and protection for our soul. And hope, I pray, as we look into the future. We just thank you, Father. Thank you. As we come to the ministry of the word, help us. As your word says, Lord, with meekness, receive that implanted word. With meekness, help us to be like Mary, Lord. To sit at your feet with all lowliness of mind and meekness. So that your spirit, not man, but your spirit can speak to us. Teach us. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. First Peter, chapter 5, and verse 8 to 9. Be sober. That's where we had, where last Saturday. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, we have an adversary, okay, the devil. When the Bible uses the term devil, it's not just talking about one person. When the leader is mentioned, it's talking about Literally, we do not know, maybe billions of demonic entities who are released to fight us, okay? Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. That's what he's looking. Because it's spiritual and not physical, okay? Uh, It is, I mean, last night was, I was, uh, Watching a clip like the you know, the wildebeest that comes up, <laughs> and then they are running, and they are running. They they run because they know danger is there. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, this lion comes, catches, and doesn't let go. Let go, catches it by here, and brings it down in the middle of it. The focus of the lion. I mean, you had this safari, okay? Um, literally maybe 50, there must be 10 vehicles with maybe 100 tourists watching right there. The wilderness crossing in front of them. The lion is not bothered about anyone out there. And he focuses, he just catches, and he takes it and goes. It's done. Okay, and we need to realize this is a physical thing. Okay, and it is the same way in the spiritual. He's watching us. He is watching us. And he is looking for who we can catch. Okay, so this is not physical protection. This is spiritual protection. So the Bible says, resist him. You have to resist him. But how do you resist him? Steadfast in faith. Okay, that's where faith comes in. Okay, then the other is the context when you see when you when you go through trouble in your life, when you go trials in your life, when you go suffering in your life, be sure you react in faith. Otherwise, the devil will cause this. Because he causes trouble in our physical senses world and then catches our soul through it. 
That's how he does it. If something doesn't affect our body, it doesn't bother us. Okay. He gets into our soul. One of the primary ways he gets into our soul is through the troubles and the trials we face in life. And then we react, not in faith, by sight. Instead of faith, we react in fear. Instead of faith, we react in anger. Instead of faith, we react in discouragement. Whichever way, there are a lot of negative things over there. When we do that, he gets a toehold. So even with anger, remember, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Why? Do not give the devil a foothold. Don't give it a foothold. So that's why it says be angry. But be very sure your anger is on a cause, a righteous cause for the kingdom of God. And you're not sinning in your anger. So please understand, we have an enemy. We have an enemy. And last Saturday, I'll continue from there. And if you've been, uh, I don't expect all of you to have the time, but if you have the time, you are listening to the the Monday. The, the message part of the prayer also, it is, it is uh, consistent. We are looking at it because the end of ages has come. And when the end of ages comes, the Bible promises we will see there will be unbelievable demonic activity. Like the days of Noah. How could an entire world except eight people get so completely deceived? It's because of the demonic activity. So the Bible would say that if possible, even the very elect themselves, it's not possible because they are the elect, but if possible, if God did not protect them supernaturally, even they would be deceived. And one of the ways the Bible says he protects the elect is by shortening the days. I still haven't figured out what it means. But I have a feeling that the elect, if they will get deceived, he'll let them die early. He'll shorten their days. He'll shorten their days. Because he knows she's on the way, she's on the way getting deceived. Maybe she's part of the elect. Let them die and come home before they go on to the other side. I do not know. This is one of my presumptions. How does he shorten the days? Maybe he shortens the time that is given to the devil. But the final time given to the devil is also kind of set. But I don't think there is other than three and a half or seven years. There are no set times because the Bible says the church has the power to hasten his coming too. Okay, so there are so many things. Other than that seven years, I think we can shorten the rest of the time if we are zealous for the Lord. So, remember, everywhere faith comes. There is no way you can resist the devil without faith. Okay, And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So in the process, please understand, the devil will devour literally millions in the last days. And how does he devour? His primary weapon is deception through lies. Deception comes through lies. If you don't believe a lie, you cannot be deceived. Deception through lies. So God says, be sober, be vigilant, resist him in faith. So we saw how deception, deception does not take in the world. Blindness takes place in the world. Deception takes place in the church. Once once I was blind, but now I, it's the other way. Once I could see, but now I am getting blinded. That's what happens in the church. Once I could see. 
But because I started swallowing the lies of the enemy, which is so real, because he comes as an angel of light, his servants come as servants of righteousness, and he speaks the truth mixed with lie. Mixed with lie. Or lie mixed with truth. And then we swallow it, and we don't even realize. So we saw, remember Second uh, Corinthians 11, 3 and 4? I fear less somehow. Sammy, can you do me a favor? If you go to my desk over there, there's a small little diary. It's very old. It's falling apart. Okay, I need it. Okay. It's just 17 years old, okay? Older than all the children here. I fear less somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Simplicity that is in Christ. Wow, we got it. It's falling apart. How does he do? He who comes preaches another Jesus. He will preach another Jesus. He won't preach any other religion in the church. Another Jesus. Jesus, as my Madhulika used to say, another Jesus. Whom you have not preached. Or if you receive a different spirit. Another spirit which you have not received or a different gospel which you have not accepted. He can bring another Jesus, another spirit other than the Holy Spirit. Meaning, what happens is actually the, these people once were probably true. So they had the Holy Spirit. Or, I don't know how to put it across. Okay, but they have a gift which is real. But the spirit in them is wrong. For the gifts... And the callings are irrevocable. So, Saul has a gift. And he prophesies. But the spirit upon him is evil. It's not a Holy Spirit. Okay, So, be, be vigilant about this. And that's why we said, we need protection. There are many layers of protection which God gives us. Many layers of protection. So, we looked at the first one and we'll continue there. The, because the first, let us say, we use in English the term first line of defense. The first layer of protection is uh, it's not what you have received in your head or anything. It's what is in your heart. It is humility. Actually, that's what Jesus was talking about, Mary, that one thing will not be taken about her. She's very humble, very humble. Okay, let me prove to you about Mary's humility. Go to, I did not give it to you. Go to Psalm 131. Let me prove to you Mary's humility. Psalm 131. Okay. 131. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Okay? Yo, I, we did have verse one. Verse one, sorry, okay. <laughs> verse one. My heart is not haughty. No, my eye lofty, eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. There's a principle over there. There is Jesus in the house. He's come to teach. And Mary is worried about, Martha is worried about everything. And Mary is not proud or haughty. How will we feed all these people? How? The Lord is here. Let me sit at his feet. Honestly, all those who cannot listen now is because your mind is distracted by your worries. You're thinking about things which are too profound for you. Can you handle it? No. Can you solve it? No. You know why? Attitude. We don't realize we are not meek. 
We are not meek. We are not. We are still trying to solve our own problems by worrying. But God says, one thing will not be taken away from Mary. One thing will not be taken away from Mary. She's meek, she's lowly, she's humble, she's seated at Jesus' feet. That's how we are. That's what the Bible says. Receive the implanted word. How? With the meekness of the spirit. Meekness. That's important. And that's a protection against deception. It's protection against deception. Because the first ones who will fall for the snare of the enemy are the proud. Because they get along well with the devil. Because we saw Ezekiel 28, verse 15 and verse 17. You are perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Okay? Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast down to your ground, I laid you before kings. That is so. What was the iniquity? It was pride. This iniquity was pride. Okay? And when that iniquity came in, pride came in. Why did pride come in? Because of his beauty, because of his wisdom, because of his strength, and because of his riches. If you read the whole context, he had all this four. He had beauty, he had wisdom, he had strength, he has. If you look at this, are the four things that causes a man to be proud. You don't have to be beautiful, you just have to think you are beautiful. You don't have to be wise. You just have to think you are wise. You don't have to be strong. You just have to think you are. I mean, all, even the little ones sitting over there, they're all very strong in their will. I mean, notice they're very strong in their will. Do they have real physical strength? No. They don't. They don't have physical strength. Let me ask you this simple question. We have all these children over here to the adults over here. Who is the smallest? Who has to be restrained? You know why? Because he's the strongest in his will. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's ignorant. If he was, he had knowledge, you would understand this as well. But he's ignorant. But the fact does not change. He's shaped in that same iniquity. And what's that iniquity? Pride. Pride. That's why God has given a child two parents to restrain them. Understand, that's how it works. They're absolutely ignorant, they're absolutely innocent, but that doesn't mean it is not there. You may be ignorant about something, but that doesn't mean. You may be ignorant about a cancer cell in your body, it will still kill you. Oh, cancer says, poor fellow, he doesn't know, I will leave him alone. I will go to somebody who is a doctor who knows about me. <laughs> Does it say that? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. Okay, so understand how it works. So that's why the Bible says, my people perish because of ignorance, lack of knowledge of how the kingdom of God works and how the kingdom of the devil works. So he had iniquity and that iniquity was pride. And look at how his iniquity is shaped out, how it, how it is confessed or manifested. Look at the parallel portion about the devil in the Bible, Isaiah 14, verse 13. You have said in your heart, Okay, all the things proceeds from the heart. Okay, in your heart. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of congregation on the furthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the most high. We know that. We have heard it. But many new people are listening. What did he say? I will ascend. I will exalt. I will sit. I will ascend. 
I will be like the most. Five eyeballs. I, 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 I. Five eyeballs. Yeah. And we don't even, unless we know that diagnosis of symptoms, we don't realize whether we are proud or not, you know. Uh, the first thing, uh, your alarm rings or your alarm does not ring, your eyes open is, I don't feel like getting up. It begins with the eye. Which husband woke up today and checked, honey, are you okay? You didn't think about the you. You think about the I. Right? Which wife woke up and thought, honey, are you sleeping? Why don't you sleep a little more? It's you. Why should I get up? Today is a off day. We begin with the I. And Jesus says, when you open your eyes, pick up your cross. That's where the I dies. Okay? That I is the symptom of the fallen man because he was injected with the iniquity of the devil. It's pride. Okay? And God's response to man. This is how you need to. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8. He made himself. What did he use? That I of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. If you look at there are seven things there. First, he made himself of no reputation. Made himself, meaning he using that I to deny. Took the form of a servant. What does the second thing say? Form of a servant. Now remember, there are many servants. All the angels are servants of God. So he took the form of a servant. But in the likeness of man. So he went lower than the angels. Okay, There are angelic servants and then there we are there who are human servants. Who is higher than us? The angels. So he took first the form of a servant and making a distinction. Not an angel. Went down even farther as a man. Okay. And being found in appearance as a man, what did he do? He humbled himself. Kept on humbling. How low can you go? Okay. Remember, last time we said, you cannot have humility without submission. Remember? Peter saying, you cannot have humility without obedience. They all go together. I am humble, but I cannot submit. No, you are not humble. The proud don't submit. See, we think all these problems are got to be the issues. God says, no. The problem is your heart. The problem is your heart. Because the humble can submit. The proud don't. The humble obey. The proud don't. So God says, don't try outwardly. If you deal with what is the main issue inside, the outward will automatically change. Keep humbling yourself. You will obey. Keep humbling yourself. You will submit. Okay. So he humbled himself. What? And he was obedient. Obedient to the point of death. A lot of people have died. But not like him. What was the most, death he chose, the most painful, most humiliating death on the cross. Because the Bible says, cursed is the man who hangs on the cross. So he humbled. After that, there is no more point, no more, no more level to which he can go down. And the, the reaction of the Father is verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him. 
and given him the name which is above every other name. Do you see the difference? We have to see the difference. The devil said, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will exalt. So God says, I have cast you down. The son comes and says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. And he went down to the death on the cross. And the father said, you know what? I will, I will exalt you above every other name. So we have these two choices. We have these two choices. Every day we wake up to these choices. You want to be cast down one day. You want to be lifted up one day. Both will happen. The devil ultimately will be cast down into the lake of fire. I believe he will get the worst part of the lake of fire. Forever and ever. And while those who have submitted, obeyed, because they were humble, learned to humble themselves, God will lift them up on that day. That's the day of judgment. Okay? So humility is our first line of protection. First line. And we have to do it ourselves. We'll come to that. We did it earlier, but we'll come to that. Why? Because pride is the mother of all iniquities or sins, or transgressions. At the core, who is the mama? Is pride. So if you, if you can daily kill the mother, she will stop breeding. You know, all those old science fiction movies we saw in our bad old days, not good old days, bad old days. No, these aliens used to come, and finally they are looking for the mother. Because they have to kill the mother, otherwise it will keep on multiplying. Okay. The mother of all iniquities is pride. And it is in us, the old man in us. Doesn't matter how much saved you are and how much sanctified you are, you are not yet out of that old flesh. It is still there. It has to be killed. And that old man, okay, our, that is what the old man, like I said many times in this past one week, the real person is not what we look like. What we look like, whatever we look like, after we were born and then we had our autonomy, whatever we made ourselves look like, it's a reflection of your soul. It is just a reflection of your soul. Our souls are different. Otherwise, we would all have the same clothes, same haircut. We'll all look the same, even though we're born of different parents. But our souls are different. So it's a reflection of the soul. And I said, in this soul, to make it simple, I will go to the old way, okay? I can't do the computer thing, okay? This is our soul. The old man, okay? Can you see? Okay, I'll put it over here. This is the old man, or the natural man, okay? This is the natural man. You have the soul. That's the center of your being. The body just manifests the soul. Right? Body is a manifestation of what your soul is. In the soul, you have the intellect. You have the will. And you have the feelings. I think, yesterday, Brune gave me the responsibility. Descartes is the one who said, I think, therefore I am. Okay, he's a French philosopher. I think, therefore I am. So, I think, or your emotions, feeling, I feel. And then, I will. And the body works it out. I think, therefore you do something. I feel, therefore, okay. I think I should go for the Bible study today. But I feel like going. Or I f don't feel like going. One other thing made your body do whatever it had to do. Okay? Whatever it had to do. Understand it. I think, therefore I am, or I feel. And who is the one? The will. So the intellect is there. Your thinking part. 
Okay, you are thinking that. And please understand, how can you over? Why I wanted is that I was thinking about intellect and then I found my old diary. Just casually I was looking at it. And you know what? I had a revelation from myself. A revelation which I had forgotten, okay? It was a very interesting... I was fascinated by my own revelation, which I received from God 17 years ago. Faith never needs a reason for obeying God. It's our intellect that demands to know the reason first. We are called to walk by faith. It's my intellect who says, why should I? Give me a reason. But faith doesn't ask for a reason. Faith never needs a reason for obeying God. It is our intellect that demands to know the reason first. So obedience to God must Always be the obedience of faith and not the obedience of reason. Intellect is a good servant, but a bad master. Feelings are good servants, but bad masters. So if you always look at conversations... When you get in conversations or in family, spouse, or whatever situation, conversation, I think this is the way you should do it. The question is, why do you think? Will you be able to say, because it is written. I believe this is what the Spirit of God is showing me. It's not that the God is anti-intellect. No. But our reason is framed by the Word of God. And that's faith. I don't know about this. This is, this is theologian who said, Lucifer was created in a second. Created the best. Because remember, Weber, unless like us, God said, good, 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 very good. What did he say about Lucifer? Perfect. He didn't say about any one of us. Good, better, about him? Perfect. This guy suddenly comes into being. He has to go by faith. God created him. And he's just a creation. That, he has to take it by faith. That God is who God is. And he says, you know what? What if he is not? What if he's just like me, another creation, a little better than that? I can compete with him and exalt him a little more higher. And it is the same poison he injected into man saying that you're not the only God. I can also be God. And that's how atheism comes in. You're not the only God. And if you look at it, we all have it in us. You're not the only God. We don't say it, but it says, I think this is the way it should be done. I feel, you know what it is? You are God. You are God. Faith is different. Faith accepts there is only God. Why do I do it? Because you said so. said so. So you need to realize, Adam also was suddenly created. God breathed into me, became a living being, and God is there, he's fine, and the devil comes and says, shh, you also can be God. Don't go with all this thing that he's the only one, the only creator, we are all creations and all. Who told you? Who told you all this? You also can be God. You know why God doesn't want you to eat that? Because he's scared. His lie will be found out. 
He's just like one of us. Deception of the enemy. Some philosopher says, I think, therefore I am. And we say, we feel. The, whenever you follow your feelings, you have become God. Whenever you follow your intellect, which opposes faith, you have become God. And the same lie perpetuated is still continuing. Still continuing. Okay. That is where humility comes in. Humble thyself before God. I believe faith is the substance of things soft. The ancients were commended because by faith they believed everything that can be seen was created. They believed in creation. They did not say it just came into being. They were commended. Did God prove it to them? No. God says, I don't have to prove anything to you. Anything to you. That is where faith comes. So you cannot have one without the other. All this go together. Faith, humility, grace. God gives grace to the humble. You access grace by faith. So how can you disconnect all these three? They all go together. If you are a man walking by faith, you are humble. The minute you stop walking by faith, you become proud. And then you have no access to grace. And you will see people in the Bible, in the Old Testament, many who walked by faith and then walked away. Walked away. And prime example is, of course, Gideon. So the last days, okay, again, last days, you have to accept it by faith. We look all around, we look all around, and we see it is true. What does it say? Second Timothy chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Why will it come? Why will it be such terrible times? Because men will be oh, themselves. What are who are lovers of themselves? Who love themselves? It's I. Will. I think. I feel. That is lover of themselves. Everything else follows that. Why is it going to be terrible times? Because people will reject faith. I will not submit to the authority of God, to the spirit of God, to the word of God, the ordinances of God. I think, therefore I am. Or I feel, therefore I am. Ultimately, what do you become? You become a lover of yourself. Yourself. Remember, this is yourself. This is yourself. Your soul is yourself. How you think, how you feel, and you do it. And God doesn't come in the picture. God comes in the picture only if God agrees with you. Not the other way. If God agrees with what you are thinking, it's okay with me. But God doesn't agree, I will still think, go with my way. The man of faith is the other way. I will agree with whatever God says, even if I don't think the same or I don't feel the same, I will go with God. A simple difference. So that's one God has attitude, one is humble, the other is proud. So in the last days, it will be perilous times. And the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, the most greatest spiritual battle ever seen. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought. And they did not prevail. Nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. The battle of all ages is taking place or going to take place or maybe it started. We do not know. But because of demonic activities, the Bible says and we know, will increase like never before. 
So the great dragon was cast out, the serpent of old, called the devil, the Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So if he was floating out in the second realm, in the air and deceiving man, how much more will we deceive when he's cast down to earth? Understand how demonic activity increases in the last days. Unbelievable. Why did it happen? Because they lost the battle in heaven battle in heaven. If you come to verse 11, there is a combination. The battle in heaven is being joined by the believing church. The believing church has overcome him. Whom? The devil. His deception. What do you overcome? His deception. If you overcome his deception, you overcome him. They overcame him. How? By the blood of the Lamb. How do you overcome him by the blood of the Lamb? Think about it. It simply means you walk in the light and therefore, the blood of Christ Jesus cleanses you continually. That's the only way you can overcome him. You have to um, um, read scripture with scripture. You're constantly walking in the light of the word, in the light of the spirit. He shows you your pride. He shows your iniquities. He shows your sin. And you're constantly confessing. And the blood of Jesus is constantly cleansing you. So he can't overcome you. He's not able to overcome you. He can attack your body. But he has no hold over your soul. Your intellect and your feelings and your will is subject to the spirit of God. Therefore, he's not able to overcome you. Continually by the blood of God and your word of your testimony, your out of the heart proceeds every issue that matters to life. Your words agree with the word of God and the spirit of God and the person of Christ. I told you about truth last week. The three coordinates agrees. So he cannot catch you by your word because life and death is in the power of the tongue. He cannot catch you by your intellect. He cannot catch you by your feelings. He cannot catch you by your confession. And Christ is confessing everything you say because he is the high priest of your confession. But the real thing, why are they able to overcome him? The first line of defense. They did not love their lives to death. What does it mean? They were not lovers of self. They were not lovers of self. They were not lovers of self. That's what it means. They did not love their lives what is to love your life? Love yourself. Yourself. Did you see that? Perilous time because people were lovers of themselves. Overcomers were not lovers of themselves. They were willing to perish for the sake of truth, for the sake of Christ. Okay. And they are the overcomers. So you need to realize, we need to realize how the soul comes into picture and we need to ask Lord, show me Father. Because the first line of defense is always the most important. The first line of defense is humility. It's humility. Okay? Because a humble person and a proud person can speak the same words, but the devil knows the difference. And God knows the difference. Man will not know the difference. They too know. That's why I said it ultimately only matters if two people know your name. God knows your name. The devil knows your name. The devil says, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? Who are you? Okay? So God's solution. What is God's solution? Matthew 18 and verse 4. I gave you a few. Therefore, whoever humbles himself. Okay? Humbles. We have to humble ourselves. 
It's a choice we make. We have a will. We have a will there. Right? We have a will there. We have to choose, God says. Right? Choose. Will it fall? Yes, it says, I will fall. Okay. 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 Even it has a will of its own. Okay. You have to choose. I have to choose every day. I will humble myself. Therefore, whoever humbles himself. Nowhere does the Bible say. Everywhere God says, if a man humbles himself, or a woman humbles, a child humbles himself. Luke 18, 14. I tell you, this man, remember the, the Pharisee and the district, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what's the word KJB uses for the term humble there? Abased. Abased. Do you know what Paul says in the book of Philippians? I know how to abound. I know how to be abased. We know how to abound. We struggle in being abased because it touched the old man and immediately smoke, fire, brimstone comes out. You touch the old man. You touch the old man shaped in pride. You will, it will come out in different, different ways. It will manifest. That's why I said last time, another line of defense is that I will never be offended. Blessed is the one who is not offended because offense is a sign of pride. Anger is a sign of pride. Manipulation, all kind of things happen. Because heart is deceitful. Deceitful. You will put across, you're fighting for a righteous cause while it is all because of offense. That's what Paul says. Some people preach the gospel because of envy. Imagine preaching the good news because of envy. If you can preach, I can also preach. People get saved. He says, my gospel is better than yours. But it is the gospel. People are saved by the gospel. But you will be judged because your heart was jealousy. God. God. James 4 and verse 10 and 1 Peter 5, 6. Humble yourself. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. Therefore, humble yourself under the mind. Everywhere it is the same thing. I have to choose whether I will humble myself. Humble myself. And we know in Philippians 2, 8, Jesus humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself. That's God's solution. First line of defense. God says it is in the humbling of ourselves. And in Psalm 35, verse 31, one key we've been looking for days, okay? 35, verse 13, okay? I wanted to read that both in NKJV and KJV. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting. Okay, KJV? I humbled my soul. So God says, humble yourself. Who is yourself? It's your soul. Your soul is yourself. What is one of the ways we can uh, humble ourselves? Is by true biblical fasting. Now let me ask you this question. Over the, you don't have to show your hand. It's between you and God. Okay. If you don't have it, you have to practice it. You have to get this into your life as a discipline. Fasting as a discipline. 
Because that's the only way, one of the most powerful ways you can humble yourself. You cannot eat seven days, 21 times a day, uh, a week. You cannot. You will never overcome. Let me tell you, scripture cannot be broken. You will never overcome. It's impossible. And you will be like, you know, that thing which you called, you know, when these old windows the carpenter used to put called putty? That soft clay-like thing which is put over there so the glass doesn't come back. Lapam. Yeah, it is old days it was called putty. Okay, lapam. Okay, you will be just like lapam in the devil's hands. Taken captive to do his will. And who's Paul talking about? People in the church. Not people outside, people in the church. How do I humble myself? It's only one way. One primary way. There are many ways. We will look it over the weeks. But one primary way is fasting. Unless you have a medical issue. Then check with your doctor and do it that you don't mess up your body. Okay. And if you look, because why? Why is it so important? Because the last days, what is going to increase manifold because of demonic activity allowed by God. And we would ask, why would God allow it? In the last days, the maximum demonic activity than any generation possible. Devil is given complete kind of control over this world. Why would he do that? Because knowledge like no generation has been given to us. We have revelation upon revelation of all the saints that have gone before. From Abel onwards down, we have the multiplicity of the knowledge of God and revelation available at our fingertips, at the click of a button. Look at how many, how many millions of answers Google brings you for one question you ask. Think about it. No generation had this availability. These are things that are neutral. You can use it for good. You can use it for bad. God says, you choose. The old man says, I will choose. God says, good. Go your way. The new man says, I surrender. I surrender. Okay. So, how Jesus began his ministry? When Jesus begins, before he begins his ministry, Matthew chapter 4, 1 and 2, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Understand this. Whenever the Holy Spirit leads you, don't look at your situation or your terrain. He will only lead you up. He will never lead you down. Whenever the devil leads you, don't look at the terrain. He will always lead you down, even if it looks fantastic. When the devil was leading Jonah, he went down and down and down and down and down. And he thought he was having a great time until the storm hit. If the storm hadn't hit, he would have got away with it without even realizing he was being led. He would have said, wow, my breakthrough has come. Ship is there. Right at this time, ship is there. Wow, one birth is vacant. God has opened this door for me. Oh, I got the fare for the birth. And I got the best bunk in the bottom deck where I can sleep calmly. And then the storm hit. Then the storm hit. Okay, so whenever the Holy Spirit leads you, please be very sure it is the wilderness where it is up. It is up. It's never down. He will never lead you spiritually down. He will only lead you spiritually up. And the question is, why could he lead Jesus into the wilderness? Because he was humble. For what? To be tempted, to be tested by the devil. 
how did Jesus withstand the testing of the devil? Answer, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. How did he overcome? See, we, we face demonic activity. Jesus faced the devil. Okay, We face the servants. He faced the king. How did he overcome? What was the weapon that he used or the spirit showed him to use to overcome? It was fasting. It was fasting. And he's, the Bible says, he was hungry. He was hungry. Remember last time when I taught you, I said hunger is the main thing because the first touch of your body and your soul contact makes is food. Okay, now if you have noticed when little Rihan was, makes a little, you can't, you can't blame Rihan at all. He's innocent, he's ignorant, he's a child. What did the mother give him? Food. And as long he had that food in his hand, did he notice he was quiet? Okay. Because the soul has to be distracted. Otherwise, what will give them? We'll give them an entertainment. One way or other, that old man has to be satiated. But as we grow, go up, one, the main thing we realize is hunger. It's hunger. It is food. Okay. Hunger can bite. Really, really bite. And you will realize when hunger comes, we understand from the Bible itself and human history what levels people will go to satiate their hunger. It can drive you mad because of hunger and thirst. That mothers ate their children. The Bible says, and we know in history also, people have eaten human flesh also. Drunk blood to quench their thirst because nothing else was there. They will go to any level. That's what hunger can do to you. So God says, first thing you learn to do is how to handle hunger. How to handle hunger. How do you handle hunger? Fasting. You're telling your body, I'm the boss. You're telling your soul, I am the boss. As an aside, do you remember the, I mean, of course you remember, should remember, the fruit of the Holy Spirit begins with love, ends with what? What is self-control? Controlling yourself. Controlling yourself? What is self-control? Controlling yourself. Do you see everything is locked in with, if you can control that old man, that soul, through the spirit, you got a lock on it. That's why it's called self-control. Self-control. There are people in the world also who have great self-control, but it is for the profit of the old man. That's what I said, don't look at fasting as a religious exercise because everyone who fasts in the religious sphere, they fast for the old man. I want a breakthrough, I'm going to fast for seven days. It is, there is no humility at all there. There is no surrender to the will of God. It is my will. I am fasting for my will, my desires. This is what I want. This is what I think I should get. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to use fasting as a weapon to twist God's hand. So please don't look at fasting outside humility. Surrender to the will of God. Okay, surrender to the will of God. Otherwise we will not get it. So there he is. Okay. Afterward he was hungry. And we know he had these three temptations, right? Three temptations. Look at his answers. 
I just gave you the answers. We know the temptation. He said, it is written, man shall not live by the bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. First temptation, what, he, what is he saying? It's not my will. It's his will. I'm hungry. I can make the stones to bread. But my father says, no. My God. Second temptation, his answer. It is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. It's not my will. It's his will. What does he want me to do? Third temptation, his answer. You shall worship the Lord your God. Him only you shall serve. What is he saying? It's not what I want. It's what he wants. Did you see he fasted for 40 days, brought his soul under control, and he obeyed the will of God. And he overcame demonic, in our context, he overcame demonic deception. It's not my will. It's his will. What do you want me to do in this situation? Is there anything wrong in eating? No. He would multiply bread to feed thousands. But he says, it is not what you do. Who told you is what is important? Whose will is at play here? Is it my will or is it God's will? That is what is at play. Is it my will or God's will? And you see how we overcame demonic activity. Okay, and God says that is the same way you overcome. So we saw last week, twice, three times we saw, we have to go into that. The final lesson God has to give Job. Job is getting many lessons from three friends, both friends, and finally God also comes and teaches him. And God's lessons are the best, okay? He's getting lesson, lecture after lecture after lecture. Because why? He's a good man, but he thinks he's good too. That's a problem. It's good to be good. But don't think you are good, because only God is good. It's good to be righteous, but only God is righteous. If you think you are righteous, then you become self-righteous. And his problem was you are self-righteous here. Okay? Jesus said to him, away with, oh no, no, uh, Job uh, 41. Can you draw out Leviathan with a hook or a snare, his tongue with a line with your Lord? After that, for 33 verses, it's all about the Leviathan, description about the Leviathan. Who is Leviathan? The devil. Devil's another name is Leviathan. And then the word of 34 says, he beholds every high thing. Meaning, he can smell a proud person from a mile. When he sees a proud man, he says, Behold my son, I am well pleased with him. <laughs> what does it say? He is king over all the children of pride. Like I said, the title for the Nepali message for Thursday was, Who is your king? There are only two kings in this world. One is Lucifer, the other is Jesus. Lucifer is the king of all who are proud. Jesus is the king of all who are lowly, meek, or humble. Only two kings. And we have to choose whose subject we will be. Whose subject we will be. That's the question. Simple question is that. So the first level of defense, line of defense from the deception of the enemy is not knowledge. It is attitude. Okay? Actually, when the Bible uses uh, in uh, Philippians 2, 5, have this mind of Christ Jesus, actual meaning is have this attitude. What is that mind of Jesus Christ? He humbled, he humbled, 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 humbled to his father. Therefore, you know what? The devil couldn't deceive him at all. 
That is what that Jesus is actually saying. Okay? The ruler of this world has come, but he found nothing in me. Why couldn't the devil, what was the devil looking for in Jesus for an open door, for pride? And there's no pride in him. He's absolutely, totally humble. Not, not knowledge. He's not looking for how much Bible knowledge do you have. He was not looking at any of those things in Jesus. If the devil wants a doorway into my life or your life, all we need is pride. He gets a doorway. He gets a doorway. And pride is usually assessed through its symptoms. It has many symptoms. And we look like old days doctors before all the radiology department came in. They treated symptomatically. We have to look at our symptoms. Am I an angry person? Am I an angry person? Am I a jealous person? Am I an offended person? Am I a manipulating person? Manipulation. The weaker will always manipulate. The strong will shout and scream and get his way. That's what happens usually in a marriage between two proud people. The husband will shout, scream and be very violent to get his way. And the woman won't shout and scream. She will manipulate and have her way. But both is arising out of pride. I want to have my way. I want to have my way. And we have to be very, very careful about these things. Okay, look at the, the, the instruction given to husbands. We don't have to go there. We know it by heart because we don't like it. <laughs> Things we don't like. No, do you know that we, you have, we have memorized it? Wives, submit your husband in all things as unto the law. Let me ask you this question. Simple, simple question. Why don't wives submit to their husbands in all things? Do you know it's got nothing to do with the husband? It's got to do with the person. It is pride that makes you unable to submit. Why? The devil won't submit. The devil won't submit. It's pride that stops you from submission. It is, of course, the excuses are he's like that, he's like that, he's like that, he's like that, he's like that. Let me ask you this simple question so that we understand. Let me ask you this question. Has, has, when you're talking about submission because it's headship and all, okay, all the wives sitting over here, has your husband ever stripped you and crucified you? Beaten you with a whip and crucified you? No. That's exactly what Jesus had asked him to go through and he submitted. Are you getting what I'm saying? What did his father who was his head? Think about Jesus as a wife and the father as a husband. No, they are the father and son. But submission is the same. What did the father ask the son to go through? You will be whipped. You will be slapped. You will be spat upon. You will be stripped. And then you will be nailed and hung on the cross for the whole world and the universe to see. Will you go through it? Yes, my father. Why was he able to humble himself to the point of death, death on a cross? It's not because of the, what he was demanded from him. It was because he was meek and lowly. But because we are not meek and lowly, we say, this is the reason I do not submit. Now, you don't have to submit to evil. I'm not saying that. I'm not, I'm not most husbands within the church context at least will not ask their wives to submit to evil. 
And why don't husbands love the church or love their wives as Christ Jesus loved? You know what? It's pride. <laughs> it's either pride or laziness. But usually it is pride. One manifestation of pride is laziness, let me tell you. Because you are humble, you are diligent. God never tells a proud man, be diligent to add to faith, virtue and all this. No, it's not possible. No point telling a lazy fellow. He can only talk these things to humble people. So why doesn't a man love his wife as Christ loved the church? Let me ask you. But you don't know my wife. Christ says exactly, you don't know my wife. For 2,000 years, I'm trying to get her to obey some things. If you take the overall saved church of Jesus Christ, let me tell you what all the church does. She smokes. She drinks. She fornicates. She commits adultery. She lies. She steals. Everything is in the church. And he still serves her. Do you know what Jesus said if I'm right in John 5.11? My father and I are at work from the beginning till now. Yet the Bible says in Genesis 1, he rested. So when did he start working again? When man sinned, he got back to work. And we have never given him rest. Never given him rest. He's still working. The work of redemption. It's working on, working on. What is he doing? Jesus doing? He's just serving his wife. He's not serving the world. He's serving his wife. God is not interested in the world. He's only interested in the elect. Everything that is happening over there under the sovereignty of God is about the church. It's not about nations or kingdom or tribes or language. He's not bothered. He's only bothered about. Let me ask you this simple question. There's garbage inside in the kitchen over there. How many are worried about the garbage? What do you do with the garbage? Hold your nose and give it to that fellow, right? That is what the rest of the world is, which is not the elect is garbage. God, God is not worried about them because he knows their destiny. They're all going to bonfire. His eyes are on his people. And his people are all kinds. All kinds. All kinds. Everything is there in the church. Just because you are saved, that doesn't mean you are sanctified, but you are saved. You are part of the bride. That is the elect. And what is he doing? He is still serving such a filthy woman, hoping to make her one day a pure virgin and present her to his father. Why is he serving? Because he is meek. Why don't husbands don't serve their wives that way? Because they are proud. Why don't wives submit to their husband in all things? Because they are proud. So God says it's not instruction you need first. What you need first is a change of attitude. Humble thyself. Why don't children obey their parents all the time? Because they're proud. It's proud. It's simple. It's as simple as that. They may not know they are proud. You don't have to know that you are proud to be proud. You don't have to know. You can still be proud. Without knowing you are proud. So you need to realize that is what God is handling. And so God says, you know what? I can humble you. But you don't want that. You don't want that. You don't. Remember yesterday I said about that. Paul talking about, you no, know, in Corinthians, he's saying the second Cor- in Corinthians, that church, he says, you know, when I come back to you, I hope God does not humiliate me and humble me by finding the church is full of unrepented sinners. Unrepented sinners. Okay. 
And it does happen. It does happen. Okay. I will tell you, if you has a husband, he's very proud. He will humiliate you by letting your wife go wrong. If you as a wife is very proud, he will humiliate you to humble you by letting your husband go wrong. If you as parents are very proud, he will allow your children to fall so that it will humiliate you and humble you by saying that, you know what, you can do nothing without me. You need to me, my help, be like me. He does. Because he's not bothered about our temporal comfort. He's bothered about our eternal character. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a lot of things God will do. And in the process, the person who understands why it is happening and reacts to it and keeps on humbling before God is being sanctified, is being renewed from glory to glory. Things are happening inside, changing the way God is. And you cannot escape these things. And the entire New Testament is written about the inner person, how this man has to change and has to become the new man who's created in Christ Jesus. He's restoring his image. When man was made, he was made in the image and the likeness of God. One is outward, the other is inward. And God, through the new creation, is restoring. And the primary image in his dealings with his creation, I'm telling you, dealings with creation, his primary, one of his most important images is God is humble. And it's very difficult for the natural man to know it, understand it. That is why you will not find any God in any pagan religion who is humble. Who is humble. They're all proud. They're all proud. That's why a unsaved carnal man is not able to understand the cross. That's why the Bible says the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. What is the cross? What is ultimately the cross? It is the epitome of humility. Humility, submission, obedience put together is the cross. And God says, pick up your cross daily. What happens at the cross? Your soul, that unrenewed old person has to die every day. And that's our struggle. Primarily, our struggle is with pride. With pride. Everybody, everybody struggles with pride. No, nobody, I mean, Paul is worrying about that. He says, if I come over there and find this, I realize God is saying, yeah, I still have to deal many things with you. Have you noticed his letters to his churches? Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all those letters, except for Thessalonians, he has got nothing good to write about any of these churches. Why? God to keep him humble. There's one thorn in the flesh and there was thorn outside also. These are all, I mean, imagine to the saints in the church of Corinth, I'm so happy with you, you're so sanctified, walking in love and this thing and the power. Nothing. Fighting among yourself, all kind of junk happening. Who is being humiliated? Oh, whose church is this? Oh, Pastor Paul. You go to Corinth, whose church is it? Pastor Paul. You go to the church in Galatia, who started in the spirit, now all going back to the law. Whose church is it? Pastor Paul. He says, Paul, I'm keeping you safe. No glory from ministry, okay? Keeping you safe. Be very careful. Very careful. We need to realize 
like I said, you know, I, th- I think I said it yesterday. David murdered. David first committed adultery, murdered, lied, you name it, he could claim it. He did it all. But the Spirit of God did not leave him. Saul, the Spirit of God left him. The Spirit of God never left David. The Spirit of God left Saul and a demonic spirit, he comes under demonic influence control. Not David. Because in Psalm 51, what is he saying? Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. He's not saying, please restore. He said, joy has gone, but the Spirit is still there. Please don't take your Spirit. Now, simple question is, why didn't the Spirit leave David? Though he sinned such terrible things. You know why? He was humble. Even while sinning, he was humble. Humble also sinned. It's not that the proud alone sins. Humble also sin. But you see this man from the beginning till the end. What do you notice about him? He was humble. He was humble. So the spirit never left Okay, And that's what is written about Jesus. The spirit of God descended and abode on him. In his fullness. For 6,000 years in all of human history. The Spirit of God has been looking for a vessel in which he can abide in his fullness. He found only one. That was his son. Why? He was absolutely humble. Look at the benefits, okay? Benefits. Everybody wants the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We all want, right? God says, you want? You want? He says, one of the ways is humble your soul, humble yourselves. And he gives us a key. What is the key? Fast. 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 Because when you fast, the first desire pops up. Eat. If you can learn to handle your appetites through which the soul think and no. You know what I fast from? I fast from I have fasted from that one thing for years and years. You know what is that? Bookstores. I, I don't go anywhere near it. I successfully have fasted. Now, Lord, please don't make me fall. <laughs> successfully fasted from bookstores. For years. Each one has his own. His own desires. Everybody's desire will not. But what is common is food. If we can handle food, we can handle almost anything can handle almost anything. So God says, fast. Fast. It's a key. Okay. Remember yesterday when we are looking from Matthew 6, we looked at three things God talks about. He doesn't say uh, if, he says when. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Which means, what does it say? This should be part of your life. It's a new man. New man gives. The new man prays. The new man fasts. If you do not give and if you do not pray consistently, if you don't fast consistently, maybe you should check whether you are a new man or an old man. Because new men do this. It's part of their lifestyle. But he said two things over there. One is said, do this in secret. And your father will reward you openly. Here, which of the ways he rewards may not be the way we think. Okay, so don't wait for the reward. Just do it. But why does he say fast or pray or give in secret? Because ye soul hai na, pran hai na, uske liye koi kuch nahi milta. 
unless you are commended unless you are commended soul will not be consistent the old man will never do anything consistent that's why we have to keep telling abigail subway study math <laughs> you have to offer them you have to offer the old man something before he will do anything he won't do anything free you have to offer it that's why in every religion the deity has to be offered something if you have to move him to do anything for it he won't do anything free he will not do anything for you have to give him something and in the same way the old man is made exactly the same image you don't give him anything he won't do it consistently he won't he won't pray consistently in secret because nobody sees you nobody says you are a prayer warrior now what's the point in praying Lord says your father sees in secret. So why did he put that secret over there? Is for the humbling of your soul. Give in secret, but he will never be known as philanthropist. <laughs> you can never have a desk given by lion so and so on the road. <laughs> You've seen this now all over the city in different places. No? Even in church, they will put a plaque donated by so and so. they will donate a chair write their name and they never allow anybody to sit on it because <laughs> they touch their chair have you noticed this the soul is like that it has needs recognition from man otherwise it will not do and god says humble yourself how do you humble your soul by doing these things consistently without anybody knowing consistently do it keep on why that's god do we see what god is doing no but god is doing it all the time he says my rain falls on the righteous and the he says i'm consistently good because that is who i am i don't need to be recognized you nobody sees very few people thank me and praise me how many of us woke up this morning saying thank you lord i'm sure if you are honest most will say i forgot did it stop from god taking care of us no why because that's who he is How does God do things in secret? How do we are called to do in secret? Why? So that old man doesn't get anything out of it. Praying in secret, giving in secret, you know, fasting in secret, worshiping in secret, worshiping in secret. When you do these things in secret. you know god says there will be a public reward one day whichever way we don't know but god's promises there that's what hebrews 11:6 god is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him how do you diligently seek him not in public everybody who seeks god diligently seeks him in secret not public everybody will seek publicly god if there is a reward promised those who seek god diligently are those who seek him consistently in secret they have a life hidden with god why it destroys your ego that old man you know what ego means right what does it mean it means edging god out <laughs> that's what 
your ego will never share that place. Old man will never share that throne with God. That's why God says, I have only one solution for the old man. Kill him. Kill him. That is why at the last, when the final hour of demonic activity comes, the man of lawlessness will seat himself in the throne as God. Where is the throne? It's the heart of the human soul. So, the demonic will take over. Satan will take over the hearts and the minds of people and God will have a set of people whose hearts and minds are enthroned by God. That's why I said, ultimately I said from Job 41, 34, there are only two kings. Satan rules over all those who are proud and Jesus rules over all those who are meek. And to that end, humanity spiraling towards that. The wheat and the tares have grown full now the time of evidence is there because at the end, how do you differentiate? All this while they look the same. You differentiate by the fruit because the tares have no fruit. And the fruit is the fruit of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit can manifest its fruit only with those who are meek, submitted to Him. He cannot work in the others. For the Bible never says the Holy Spirit pushes. It says He leads. He leads. He doesn't push. He leads. Just before coming in here, that's another message. When I was sitting there while people were already here, God was giving me four or five, okay? There are two kinds of fatherhood. God births, the devil births, right? God also births. Flesh gives birth to flesh, flesh, but it's only birthing. God doesn't unconditionally promise to lead us. No. He says, separate yourself and I shall be your father. That's another experience of the father. He says, those who are righteous or love like God are like his sons. His sons. That's the second one. As many as are led by the spirit, they are the sons of God. And finally he says, he who overcomes, he will be my son and he will be my father. I will be his father. So you see there is a difference. There's so many things that are connected to we experiencing God at a higher level, deeper level as a father. There is separation. There is leading of the Holy Spirit. There is overcoming. There is acting just like him as he is righteous with the just and the unjust. And as he is loving with the just, wicked and the evil. That is Matthew 6. 45 and 48. All that he says, you know what? You will experience me differently. And to do all these things, you know what is the attitude you need? It's humility. It's humility. So the Bible tells over there, there is a battle that is getting, happening over here. And you and I will never overcome the demonic through his lies and deception. Unless we equip ourselves with all the weapons God has given or tools God has given. And one of the primary tools God has given us is fasting. Look at James chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The battle that is taking place is not outside. It is inside. Where is the spiritual battle taking place? 
answer. How to that is farmers waiting for different, for every all kind of battles are taking place, fights, justice, farm laws. That is outside. Real battle is taking place inside, all of us. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires of pleasure that war in your members? Where does it come from? Yourself. All the battles are happening inside. You lust and do not have. You murder, covet, cannot obtain. You fight and war. Let you do not because you do not ask. You know, when he's talking to the church, you murder and all that. Do they, are they really murderers sitting over there? No. How do you murder? How do you murder? With your tongue. You kill somebody with your tongue. You don't have to kill anybody with a knife. You can kill him or her without even taking a knife out. It's with your words. That's what slander and gossip is called. That's why God is so, so vehemently against that. Because it destroys people. Okay, think about it. I'll give you examples. Think about it. Let us say, there is a church or our church. Let's put wife should pick another church. Now we'll use our church itself as an example. Let us say there are hundred people in a church. Okay. To kill somebody's reputation with your tongue, you cannot have a slanderous tongue without a listening ear. You know? You cannot have a slanderous tongue without a listening ear. So you have 99 ears that refuse to listen and one slanderous tongue. What will the tongue do? It will go outside. It will go outside. Let me tell you, I'm just telling you honestly, telling you from scripture, if you look at the scripture. In this scripture, there are no indictments for the people in the world. The indictments are always for people from within the church who harm the church. Read the entire episodes and John will come to the point by saying they were not of us. They left us because they were not of us. That's one of the simple reasons why we say when somebody leaves the church not in peace and conflict, cut off. Because when you are offended, you call them first. Because you know nobody in the church will listen. But you have a slanderous tongue and they have a listening ear. It's not that we don't love them. We don't pray for them. Actually, we pray for them every day. But we cut them off. Cut them off. You will see through the Bible, Paul talks about diatrophies, or John talks about diatrophies, he talks about Alexander the Copper, he names names. You know why? Because these people are harming the church. See, the Hindu won't harm the church. He says religious spirit, he can't harm the church. The Muslim can't harm the church. The church has always been harmed by the people who left. So when you leave a church, leave peacefully. We have left churches. We will, I will never talk against ages. Never. Because those were, once upon a time, my pastors. And I respect till today. Because if I talk against them and slander against them, you know who am I harming? Myself. Because we are one body. One body. One body. We have to be careful about these things. You know why? Do you know why we slander? Because we are offended. Do you know why we are offended? But there was pride. Pride. You have to go to the root. If you don't go to the root, you cannot change the fruit. You want to change the fruit, change the root. That's how it works. That's how it always works. The root is offended. That's what the Bible says. Out of 
Offense comes bitterness. Out of the root of bitterness, so many have been messed up, spoiled, and they have fallen short of the grace of God. These are real facts in life. So you know what? One thing, I keep telling my pastors, I keep telling people, you know what? It's very easy for me to love you. You know why? Because I don't hear anything about you. It's very easy for me. I don't want to hear anything about Unless you're coming to me with an issue. That's a different thing. Then I will look at it objectively. That's a different thing. When uh, a, doc, a patient goes to Dr. Richard and says, you know what? Ah, I wonder what all you are up to to get this. He doesn't. He looks at objectively symptoms, goes this test, gives the medicine. Does he sit and think, I wonder? Hmm. Does he wonder? No, he doesn't wonder. He has no time to wonder. He, life will be a mess if he's wondering about what each patient did to get this disease. So the simple thing is that I'm saying how you protect your heart from pride. This is one of the ways you humble yourself. Before you listen to something, you should always ask, does it have anything to do with me? Do I have the right to judge in this situation? Am I a solution? I don't want to hear. I don't want to hear. It's got nothing to do with me. Why mess up? Why mess your head with somebody's garbage? Your mind will stink. Your mind will stink. There are practical ways in which God talks about. And there is no sentiments in this. This is submitting your will to God's will to see that, Lord, it's about you. It's about you. It's about you. That's how you handle that stuff. Otherwise, what will happen? You know what? The rot is getting in. And we are saved but unable to change. Why? To change, you need grace. Grace is given to the humble. It's never given to the proud. That's what we're talking about. You lust, you do not have. You murder, you covet, you cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. In verse 3, you ask, you do not receive because you ask amiss. What do you want to spend it on? The old man. The old man. You want to spend it all on the old man so the old man gets Now look at the context of what he's talking about and then what does he call them? Look at what he's calling them. If you're feeding your soul, the old man, who are you? I don't trust. Who did you fornicate with? The devil. The world ruler of this world. Adulterers and adulterers. Do you not know friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You have to look at the context in which he's talking about. What is he talking about? Normal things which we all struggle with. He's not talking about fighting Michael the Archangel and you know he said everyday things. Everyday things. Where does the fights in families come from? Over things. Over things. Food, kapada, vacations. But this is all spent on yourself, right? You don't buy food to give somebody else, you will never fight. You buy clothes to give to somebody else, you will not fight. If you pay for somebody's vacation, you won't fight. But these are where we indulge in ourselves. 
because i hear this all this i deserve a vacation i said i tell god what do you deserve <laughs> think about it there old man where does your where does your battles come from it is always where this man has been denied either your feeling was denied i feel no we are not doing it this time i think we should no don't think that way immediately god of course you can tell it more lovingly politely but the result is the same and if it is a, not a humble soul it will whichever way you say they will be offended that's why god says blessed is the one who is not offended and you look at david god told a few no's to him and he was not offended not offended okay that is very important and you have to teach our little children as they are growing up when daddy and mummy says no you are not allowed to sulk you cannot sulk and obey that means your attitude stinks still attitude stinks you have to constantly tell them you know what learn to take a no cheerfully because we are not harming you we are protecting you why because if you learn to take a no from me cheerfully one day when god says no you will thank him it's not about me it's not about my it's not about my soul you are making me happy when i say no thank you mama no it's not about me it's about god it's not about me and you know what that is the most difficult part of discipline so you will say it is okay you know the sulk i am okay god says no i am not okay teach them but lord is so much trouble to teach them he says teach them you want to please yourself or you want to please me that's why i said parenting is a full time job and the bible says in timothy women will be saved basically labor there means parenting parenting is a labor more than the labor room labor room is 6 hours 7 hours 2 hours 1 hours anesthesia you feel nothing after that labor really begins rearing up your children in the ways of god in the attitude of god forget among ourselves in the bible how many humble children have you found only two one was called samuel the other was called jesus i'm talking about children humble whatever mama said he did whatever eli said he did the same words are repeated about jesus others childhood we don't know the bible records 4000 years of human history two children got found who was meek so please don't think i will be meek today or tomorrow it is it's a process it is not easy but it cannot be avoided you cannot avoid meekness and reach heaven let me tell you straight up okay <laughs> this is not an optional subject this is compulsory you flunk in meekness you flunk in your salvation they will say pastor are you saying salvation is by works no i am saying the gospel is to the poor only the poor will receive the gospel the proud has never received the gospel the proud literally has to be stripped down from his high horse who was that saul of tarsus was on a horse going to damascus go crashed him he came down his high horse blind for 3 days and said lord you are lord I don't know where that term in English came that he was brought down from his high horse. I think it was Saul of Damascus. Not only had need, he needed to have a few probably aches and pains 
for falling off the horse. You also need to be blinded for three days. Okay. And the Bible says immediately he went into a three-day fast. He ate nothing for three days. Humbled himself. And the Lord revealed himself to him. Okay. It's not that he ate well in his blindness and God spoke to him. No. <laughs> we would, if you give it to the old man, you will say, I can't see anywhere, but I can taste. Bring me, bring me. <laughs> Lord Saul. <laughs> Lord Saul. Okay. So please understand. Though we use humor, the lesson is serious. Okay. And adulterers and adulteresses. And look at verse 5. What does verse 5 say? Over six. Do you not think that the spirit says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? Is yearning within us. The spirit of God in us is yearning within us. What is he telling us to do? That's verse six. Verse six. What does he tell us to do? Humble yourself under the mighty. He gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The spirit of God who is yearning within us, what is he telling us? Though I preached about laying of hands now, many, many, many years ago, I remember, and he was, he was very apostolic, I knew, very nice, godly man from the US. He, he just looked at me. And he came to me and says, this is what the Lord says. Come, Sarah, come here. So that they can see. Those who are hiding over there. Hmm? Okay. No, no, stand up, stand up. Here, 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 honey, stand up. Okay. Just go as I push you, okay? This is what he said. He said, he said, you humble yourself. The Lord is saying, he will raise you up like no other man. And he walked away. <laughs> and that is the most difficult part to wake up in the morning Lord what is your will for me humble yourself you don't want to hear that right that's the last thing you want to hear first thing in the morning but that's what he says and then verse 7 resist that submit to God resist the devil and he will flee from you how do you submit to God by humbling yourself how do you how how do you resist the devil? Because how are you able to resist the devil? Because he gives you more grace. And what happens? The devil runs. Fasting, humbling, grace, faith, overcoming, they all go together. Go to Joel 2 and verse 11. Because we are looking also leadership as an individual who is a bachelor or a head of a house. Parents, church, whatever situation you are. The Lord gives voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? The Lord's army is coming. The day of the Lord is here. It's a terrible day. So everything we are talking about is connected with the day of the Lord. See, let me tell you honestly. If we do not have the day of the Lord before us, we are not going to change. You will very difficult to find an episode where everything is not written to the people and reminded the day of the Lord. 
few understand that and the day of the lord can come like any time nobody is told when it will come that is when equity will come iniquity will be gone and look if you want to endure it if you want to endure the day of the lord when that day comes what is the solution now therefore says the lord turn to me with all your heart with fasting with weeping with mourning turn to me with all your heart a divided heart goes nowhere turn to me with all your heart with fasting with weeping with mourning now we turn to james chapter 4 same chapter 8 to 10 you will see there is no difference between old and new testament draw near to god he will draw near to you cleanse your hands you sinners purify your hearts you double minded lament mourn weep let your laughter be turned to mourning your joy to gloom humble yourself in the sight of the lord and he will lift you up is there any difference between joel and james when it comes to the day of the lord go chapter 5 is about the day of the lord the judgment coming there's no difference there's no difference whether joel is speaking or james is speaking the bible says as you see the day getting closer and closer ask god to help you to turn to god with all your heart joel right and first thing he says is do what fast fast okay one is a theological thing turn with all your heart but you don't never will know whether your whole heart has turned so practical help what is that like we say child abigail or sara or nazarene your handwriting is not good improve your handwriting that is a statement practical get them a four line book cursive writing every day two pages till when till your handwriting improves that is a practical one turn with the lord with all your heart but lord how do you he says start fasting then i can speak to you because as long as you're feasting i can't speak to you your soul is always thinking i think i feel i will when you have humbled yourself in fasting when i speak to you will say lord yes lord i did not know these were your thoughts lord i did not know these were your ways lord i did not know this is how you feel lord i will so god gives us a practical tool to humble ourselves what is that fast fast let's go to joel again so rend your heart not your garments return to the lord your god for he is gracious and merciful slow to anger of great kindness and he relents from doing harm god is not interested in punishing anybody I remember Derek Prince saying, "Nobody breaks God's law; God's law breaks them." You're breaking yourself by breaking something which God has said. It is like gravity; gravity has pulled nobody down. You just jump and break your head. I, oh, you know how my husband died? How? Oh, gravity killed him. No. <laughs> Have you ever found a post-mortem report reason for death? Gravity. Doctor Richard, have you ever seen such a report? No. Emergency OD. This person died because of gravity. No. You slipped. You were careless. You fell. You cracked your head. So God says, "Here, relents from doing harm." Let's go further. Solution. 
How does it all begin? Blow the trumpet in Zion, not Babylon. The trumpet for these things can be only blown in his church. Remember his church in Hebrews 10 is called Zion. The assembly of the holy people. Blow the trumpet in Zion. What do you do first? Consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Sanctify the congregation. Assemble the leaders. Gather the children and the nursing babies. Let the bridegroom go out of his chamber. The bride from her dressing room. Let the priests who minister to the Lord weep between the pots and the altar. Let them say, spare your people, O Lord. Do not give your heritage to reproach that the nation should rule over them. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? When will you do all this? Only in the light of the day of the Lord. Let me ask you this simple question. It's a terrible illustration, but it's a true illustration. Illustration-wise, it is true. Okay, now let us pick anybody. We'll not pick anybody here, okay, because I don't want to use you as an illustration. Okay, but let's use Brother, Brother Banu Teja is sitting here as an illustration, okay. He has got all these plans. He's made all these plans over here. He's planned it out very well for 2022, 23. He's put money away for that. He's made all these plans. And then he goes to the doctor and the doctor says, take this test and come back. And the doctor looks at the test and says, oh, I'm sorry. It's very difficult news. What's sir? What's up? Oh, you have cancer. It's terminal stage. What happens to his plans? Is he interested in his plans? No. What if you know the day of the Lord is tomorrow? Think about all the thoughts in your mind, all the plans you have. What difference does it make? The energy, the time, the resources we pour into something or many things, simply ask this question. Will it survive the day of the Lord? Everything is in the context. That is why about one thing Jesus said, you will not know. I will come unexpectedly like the thief in the night. Like the thief in the night. So that one day, that one day which is called the day of the Lord should change all our days. All our days of our life. Greatest influence should be that day. Okay. The day of the Lord. What will happen to all that I am doing? How will it be counted on that day? Is it worth for that day? The time, the energy, the resources I spent on. Will it, will it make any difference on that day? That day. That's what Joel is talking about. Rent your hearts, not your garments. Call a sacred assembly. And the first thing, what do you do? Fast. Because if you don't fast and humble your soul, God will not be able to speak to you. And even if he speaks to you, you will not hear. And if you hear, you will not accept. Okay. You will not be able to accept. So the first thing, we are just looking at one key. One key of fasting. And we will see what happens when. Everyone is called. You know that? Everyone from the babe onwards, everybody is used in. I'm not saying the babes should be starved. That only happened in Nineveh. And God relented. God relented. Nineveh was one of the most wicked cities in the world. Israel hated Nineveh. If you read the Bible about what Nineveh used to do, Nineveh used to rip the children out of the women's womb when they were pregnant. That's how wicked. But God relented. 
When they fasted, they humbled and sought the Lord, turned from their wicked ways, the book of Jonah says. God changed his mind. So it doesn't matter how wicked you are, how evil you are. When you humble before God, God relents. God relents. He changes. He changes his mind. Because he doesn't want to destroy anybody. He did not send his son to the cross to condemn, but to save. But who can he save? Only those who can. Who are humble. And one practical way to keep on being saved is to humble ourselves. How do we humble ourselves? One way God says is fast. See, if you do all this, verse 18 says, what does verse 18 says? Then the Lord will be zealous for his land and pity his people. If we do what God tells us to do, this is what God will do. He will be zealous for us and pity the land. And what is the result when God is zealous for the people? It's all there in verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see vision. Do you see what God is saying? Where does he stop? He says, if you fast, if you humble yourself, if you rent your heart, if you turn with me to with all your heart, do you know what I will do? I'll be very zealous and I will have pity on you. You'll say, oh Lord, thank you. You will just forgive me. I will receive mercy. He says, no, it doesn't stop with mercy. I will pour my grace upon you. It shall come to pass. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Do you know this is the portion that Peter used? This is what Peter used. Now let's go to what Peter said. Acts 2, verse 17, on the day of Pentecost. It shall come to pass in the last day, says the Lord, I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. So you need to realize, this is, Peter is getting a revelation. Are these people, it's only mid-morning, they're all drunk already. Paul, Peter said, no. This is what, remember last time when I told you, um, during the week when I said that, the apostles, uh, the 120 gathered for 10 days. They gathered for 10 days because the 10th day the spirit fell. Otherwise they would have continued gathering. 120. And I said they were in one accord praying. But I said the word fast is not used. But I, I said, I do believe that they were fasting. Why? Because if you look at the context of what happenings over there, Joel says call a fast. Okay? And God will pour out the spirit. So when the spirit comes, he's going right back to Joel. So if you look at the context, they must have been fasting. They humbled themselves in fasting, in prayer, and the Spirit of God came. But read carefully now. Now I want your attention, your full attention. Okay? That's where the details lie. It shall come to pass in the last day, says the Lord, I will pour out of my Spirit on all flesh. Now go to Joel 2.28. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. What did Joel say? I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. What did Peter interpret it? Of my spirit, meaning the whole of the spirit has not been poured yet. He just poured a little in the beginning. He says it's the end. By the time the end comes on the last generation, I will pour out all my spirit. He only poured off his spirit in the beginning. But a time and a season is coming because the demonic activity will be unbelievable. If you are not filled with all of my spirit, you will not survive. God's answer, where sin abounds, 
grace abounds. There's no other way we will survive. That's what God is talking about. Even the elect themselves will not survive. Therefore God says, humble yourself before the Lord. To the humble he gives more grace. More grace. More grace. More grace. That's how it works. We will not survive otherwise. There's no other way. Because God's answer to everything is my spirit. Why couldn't the devil touch Jesus? Because he was the meekest man on earth. And what was the result of it? The Bible says in John 3.34, he was filled without measure. Filled without measure. If you have to be filled without measure, then you have humbled yourself without measure. That's what the Bible says. He humbled himself to the point of death and death on the cross. He has no ego. So many things are connected with that. I'm telling you how to fight this. Okay, I can only use my example. I can't use your example because you work in different spheres. Like for me, I, I, I'm pastoring a church. Okay. So if the Lord were to tell me tomorrow or somebody were to tell me, the Lord is telling me that uh, he's shutting your church down. What's the usual? With my sweat and blood and prayers, I built my That's a usual reaction of all the pastors. And that's a wrong reaction. Wrong reaction. It's an absolute, I've heard many godly men say that too. And get angry and mad and upset. And, but we, we don't have a church. The church is God's. Your reaction to be correct honestly should be, Lord, it's people. Now, only prayer is that the people should be safe under some other shepherd. No one should be lost. Because it was not mine. It was always yours. Always yours. We have these things about institutions we build. Our, I'm talking because we are in ministry. Two of us are in ministry. My ministry, our ministry. No, we don't have anything. So in the same way, your job, your business, whatever it is, if God were to take it away. That's a test. There was a man in the land of Uz and his character is given. But you know what is not mentioned? He was meek. Because when God took out everything in one day, allowed the devil, you know what he did? He worshipped. His wife was proud. He said, curse God and die. You see, a an, an very unseemly combination, a meek and a humble man and a proud wife. Proud wife. And because he was meek, and at the end, you know what? God restores him. He restores his sheep double, his oxen double, his camel double, but he gave him only same number of children. Did he give the double the number of children? No, why? When he doubled everything, why didn't he give the other children, double the children? Why? Because the other seven were safe in heaven. That's how we know, how we put two and two together and realize Job did not lose his children. Otherwise, God would have doubled his children. He lost seven, I'll give you fourteen. But you know one thing? Children cannot be replaced. Oxen can be. Camel can be. Souls cannot be replaced. So God said, yes, your children are safe. They came through. So these things matter. These things matter. God is looking first into us, not is looking into our heart. Our heart. That's why, like I said, no, that's why God says through Isaiah, your righteousness is like filthy rags. Why is our how can our righteousness be like filthy rags? How can my righteousness be dirty? If the old man. How can my righteousness be dirty? You know how? Because it comes from pride. Is birthed in pride. It comes from the self. The old man. The old man is birthed with the iniquity of pride. 
And therefore he says, even your works are unacceptable. If your works have to be acceptable, it has to be the new man. New man. And the new man is only in the humble people because your first step of your salvation is you humbled yourself before the word of God, accepted what you said, I am a sinner. Exactly what you say. You died for my sin. There's nothing I can do about it. All my hope is in you. I humble myself and receive it. That's how your salvation begins. And how does it end? Faith unto faith. That it means all the way you have to humble. To receive grace. If it's grace who saved you, it's grace who keeps saving you. And there's only one attitude is there. The attitude is the attitude of humility. So when things happen to us, things happen to those people who are close to us, things happen to things which we have built. God used us to build or we built ourselves, whatever it is. How do we react? Why does God touch these things? So that we will know that our works are not lost on the day of the Lord. Build it in meekness. God says, my father and I are at work from the beginning. How do they work? In weakness. They never do anything in pride. Never do anything in pride. God will never do anything in pride. So these things we have to ask ourselves, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, because you know I'm not fighting for my salvation. I don't want to lose in eternity. Lose in eternity. Keep my attitude right, Lord. And God says, he led them into the wilderness. Cause them to hunger. Humble them. Fed them with manna. For what? So that they would know what was in their heart. What came out? You think after 400 years of slavery, people would be humble, right? No, there was nobody humble among them. Nobody humble among them. All were proud. And we'll say Moses, it took Moses 40 years to humble them. In the why did why was Moses in the wilderness taking care of his father-in-law's sheep? For only one thing, to humble him. To humble him. So that God could use him. God couldn't use him until he had humbled him. And the only way you could humble him was put him in the desert under his father-in-law with nothing of his own. Everything belonged to his father-in-law. And he humbled him. By the time his 80 years old God meets him, what do you have? Just a stick. That's all I have. God said, that's enough. Lay it at my feet. Pick it up and go. You'll bring my people out. And the Bible says he was the meekest man on earth. You know how he became meek? At 40 he was arrogant. At 80 he was meek. You know what made him meek? The wilderness. But another set of people he will lead, they will go to their graves proud and 40 years of wilderness won't change them. Because they refuse to humble themselves before God. Because if God can humiliate you, that does not mean you will humble. You will humble. You have to humble yourself. It's important. These things are lessons are important. And that's what God is talking about here. And we saw what happens. He will give grace. If you go to Joel chapter 2, Verse 28 to 31. It shall come to pass afterward. I will pour out my spirit. This is not talking about then. This is talking about now. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. Men servants, my maids. I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in heavens and in the earth. Blood and fire and pillars of smoke. Wait a second. 
Did that happen in the apostolic age? No. This is yet to happen. So which age is he talking about when he will pour out his spirit? It's about the last days. And if he will pour out his spirit, what kind of people have they become? Humble, meek. That's what he's talking. Before the coming of the great and the awesome day. Look at the difference. What did he say earlier? Dreadful day of the Lord. But to those who are upon whom the spirit is poured, what is that day? Awesome day. If you are not filled with the spirit, it's a terrible day. If you are full of the spirit, it's an awesome day. The day is the same. For the proud, it's a dreadful day. For the meek, it's an awesome day. It's an awesome day. Okay. It's our heart that actually sees things. Judges things. And God says, if you are meek, if you are humble, we have to humble ourselves every day. It's a choice. We are only looking at one key. Next Saturday, this pastor's conference. Maybe after that, we'll look. There are different keys. We have to, there are, you don't, you don't humble yourself by all the ways. There are certain ways in scripture by which you humble yourself. I'll just give you a couple of examples. One is fasting. Other is serving others who cannot serve you back. Serving others who you feel are not just serve you back, but serving others who you feel are below you. Below you. Because it's a humbling of your soul. Let me simple. Let's, let's be practical. Why is it very easy for the wife to serve the husband? Does anybody tell you you should serve your husband? You automatically do it. Why is it so difficult for the husband to serve the wife? Have you noticed? It's very naturally it comes to the woman to serve her husband. Why? She doesn't think I'm superior than him. It comes automatically. But it's very difficult for the husband to serve the husband. The wife. You know Why? Because it needs a humbling. Needs a humbling. Becomes problematic. Okay. Now let me ask you the other thing. Automatically, without thinking the parents of their children, from the morning onward they're serving the children. Why is it so difficult for the children to serve the parents? Should I do this? Why can't I do it later? Why do you always tell me to do this? You know why? Because they're proud. And they don't know. Yet from morning till night the parents are serving them. So you have to choose who you will serve. And everybody, if Modiji comes here, everybody will serve him. Is this humbling? Is it humbling? No, it's not humbling. He's the Prime Minister. Everybody will serve him. Oh, I humbled myself today and served the Prime Minister. Oh, you didn't humble yourself. But somebody order-wise is below you. You should serve you are choosing deliberately, consistently to humble yourself, telling your old man, I will not have you rule over me. It's not what I think or what I feel. It's what God thinks and what God feels. You choose. You choose. You choose. Another way Jesus said, he said, how do you humble yourself? Whenever you go into a public kind of a setting, go and sit always at the lower seat. Don't go sit in the front. I'm not talking about the church. Church, sit in the front. <laughs> oh, I will be very humble tomorrow at church. Go to the back. No, that's not being humble. Okay, But you know what he said? Go. Sit. It's a practical ways you can do it. And he says, you know what? You go sit there. I am anointed man of God. You go sit over there. The host will come and say, somebody more anointed than you is coming. <laughs> will you please go to the back? You get humiliated. This is something we can consistently do. You know? 
Like, you know, you remember the example I said, the most difficult musical instrument to play, you know, the most difficult is to play the second fiddle. You know what it means? I'm not putting myself in the front. I will help somebody to excel. That is playing the second fiddle. That's the meaning of that metaphor. The most difficult instrument to play is to play second to somebody. Would you be willing to be known for 13 years, the man who poured water on Elijah's hands? Why did he receive double portion? Because he was meek. Meeker than Elijah. Because Elijah, when he failed, he said, I'm no better than my father's, I want to die. Self was touched. For 13 years or 12 years or 10 years, by your theologian says 14 years. What did Elisha do? Wash his clothes, cook his food, clean his utensils and walk with him. And listen. What was he known as? Oh, the fellow who poured water. Well, what did people see? Elijah will come and teach in the prophetic school. Then he will eat, comes. Elisha is pouring water. That's all they saw him doing. But what did he receive? A double portion of the spirit. So practical tools such as fasting is one. Serving those who are below. And when it comes to serving below, I mean, it's practically it's very difficult to obey God because your soul will not even accept it. Let me tell you one of these. Jesus says when you are having a party, don't invite all your friends and all the people who will come with return gifts. He said don't call them. Call the poor. Call the blind. Call all of them. Let me ask, how many of you will dare to seat them in our seats and our sofas and our houses? He says, call them. Why are you calling them? Because you are choosing to humble your soul. Because we call all the ones who are listening and all and cook our 16, 17 dishes and show them everything. We feel good. Even if they didn't feel good, they tell you they felt good and we feel good. Everybody is trying to make everybody feel good. But when you call the poor, when you call the poor, they have nothing to say. I like to tell you now. Uh, one thing uh, there are because I was fast, I'm always fascinated by railways. It gives me my relaxation. Even yesterday, you could ask. I watched my clip. I'll always watch my clip of railways every day. I have to watch my 10 minute clip. I I will watch that clip, close my eyes, and I think I'm on my mission trip as usual. Because those were those those were those days. Now it is comfort. Those days it was not comfort. Okay, so but. Different railway ministers, I know all their names, Lalu Prasad, Mamta, Lalu, all the railway ministers. One thing I remember about Lalu Prasad is that he brought the upgradation into the railway system. Meaning if there is so many seats vacant in the railway, you booked by sleeper class, you could be accidentally or by lot upgraded to third AC. Are you getting it? So, when you are traveling by AC, you will find these poor people who are upgraded. No? All the subs are sitting and he comes with his plastic cover. You have to see he's in an undistinct terrain. Okay. You have to see none of the other passengers will make him comfortable. They will not even move, though they are sitting in his seat. Why he's been upgraded? But we deserve this seat. There is no upgradation in heaven. Everybody came as bikaris. And that's the primary thing which God is talking about. No? I'm saying that if you cannot bring them in, 
Can you go to them? That's one of the first things which I taught when my children were very small. I used to tell them, first time we'll have a birthday. And after that, can we go to them? And they said, okay, fine. I said, what we'll do is that we'll make it regular. Whenever we can, daddy's free. Sunday evening after the meeting, we'll buy puffs or whatever. You guys wrap it. I'll take you both on the scooter. We'll go down from Hedipatnam all the way till it finishes. And I will stop. You go give it to the beggars. You go give it to the beggars. They were excited. Then they were fighting. Who will do it each time? So I said, take turns. You know why? There's nothing you are getting in return by giving it to them. So if you cannot be practical, if you cannot bring them home, don't bring all these people home because you don't know what kind they are. But you can go to them. You can go to them. Okay. Only thing, don't be, let it be a religious thing. Do it consistently, quietly in your life. So that it becomes, you know what you're doing? You're humbling yourself. You're choosing to humble yourself. You know what? Why? Because this old man can never be reformed. Impossible. Only thing you can do with the old man is execute him each day. There's no other way. And that's what God is talking about. So the Bible says, they fasted. Personal fasting, corporate fasting, all are there. All are there. We'll corporately fast this month, not from this Sunday, next Sunday, 11th to 31st. 21 days we will fast. Uh, skip one meal for Christmas, eat two full meals if you want to, okay? But uh, we will fast for 21 days, all our churches. So I'm just announcing to here first. But we'll go on a 21-day fast, corporate fast. Lord, 2022 comes. But no, Lord, humble me. We had the promise, Lord, but I wasn't stretched. God will say, I couldn't stretch you. Because the proud, if I stretch, they will break. The meek, I can stretch them anymore. Maybe the way, why he couldn't stretch us way, because we were not humble. We need to ask, his promises, so many people have been stretched in so many ways. Every day you hear, stretch, 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 stretch. And if you and I couldn't be stretched, we were not able to be stretched, it's because... We had no elasticity. The meek can be stressed. Go there, go there, go there, go there. They will go anywhere. You know? We forget all these things about Abraham. What is the big thing about Abraham? He was meek. Abraham, yes. Leave your city, leave your country, leave your household. He packed up and he left. We make a big thing about Haran and all, but let me ask, who has left the Ur of the Chaldeans? Has any one of us left the Ur of the Chaldeans? And God said, only the meek will obey. The Bible says he left. Where are you going? I don't know. Why are you going? Because you said, how can you go like that? Uh, but how can I disobey you? So we'll say, Lord, why are you not calling me? He said, honey, I can't call you. Because you won't obey. I don't want to hear a no from you. That's why I'm not selling you anything. Now, this is all part of God's general will. You want specific, right? What is general will? Pray in secret. Fast in secret, give in secret. Do these three things, among many things. And suddenly one day you will realize God will speak. As we close, Acts 13, 1 and 2. Acts 13, 1 and 2. And we will close. Now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, Niger, Lucius, Menin, 
who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. What are they called? What are they called? Prophets and teachers. Prophets and teachers. And verse 2. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And I think if I'm right, we'll use the word. They were worshipping. They ministered to the Lord and they fasted. And what did the Holy Spirit do? He spoke. When did they speak? When the Holy Spirit speak? When they were fasting. And so they were not ministering to themselves. They were not feeding their soul. They were ministering to God. And one of the ways they used was they were fasting. And the Holy Spirit. Chapter 2 of book of Acts and chapter 13 of book of Acts are the most important chapters. In chapter 2, God sends his people out, 120. In chapter 13, the church sends them out. The Holy Spirit through the church. This is where the church as a government of God on earth starts functioning in Acts chapter 13. And they send out. That's how it. Meaning, what is the principle? If you minister to the Lord and fast, the Holy Spirit will give you guidance for your life. You want to hear from the Holy Spirit? He will guide you. He will guide you. He will, the church, he will send forth people. And they send forth. And look at verse 3 and 4. Okay. What did they do? Having fasted and prayed. Holy Spirit said, no, they fasted even more and prayed. Why? You have spoken. Now give us the unction to send them. For what did they do that? They fasted even more. And the Bible says, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down. Who sent them? Look at verse 3. They sent them away. And verse 4, the sent by the Holy Spirit. That's what finally happens in Revelation 22. This bride and the Spirit says, come here. The Spirit and the church is sending people. They have become one. Why were they able to become one? Because what was the tool they used? Fasting. And I, I think I gave you one more verse, no? 14, Acts 14, what did I give you there? Acts 14, one verse I gave you. 14, 14. 14, 14. Okay, now look. When the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard... Wait a second. Wait a second. What were they called in chapter 13? Prophet and teachers. What are they called in 14? How did they become apostles? What are apostles? Sent out one. Who sent them out? The church. There was a first set of apostles who were sent by God. Second set of apostles sent by the church because the church has become one with the spirit. So when we said two Sundays back, off, repent, refresh, restore, God will restore when the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes, all this will be restored. And God will send apostles out who will bring the, 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 the people in. They will be willing to face anything. Paul and Barnabas are not called prophets now. They are not called teachers now. They are called apostles. They are called apostles. That's how the kingdom of God. You know what's happening over here? Government is being established. Let me give you the other verses also. Chapter 14, verse 21 to 23. 14, 21 to 23. Okay. When they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. You know what that it is? It's a Bible study. You heard about Bible study? That's how my ministry in Hyderabad began. Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, so when they had appointed elders in every church, prayed with fasting. When that happens, government has started. 
What is the prelude to all of that? It's fasting. It's fasting caused them to hear, to separate to. They become apostles. Apostles go and make disciples. And through fasting, they appoint pastors or elders. And what happens? The government of God, a group of disciples become a church and government begins. But looking at the key, behind it all is what? A humbling of self through fasting so that the Spirit of God can direct our life, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions. And then we'll be able to say like Jesus, not my will, your will be done. Your will be done. Okay. And that's what the God is talking about. So you start using this. Starting this year into next year. Make it your lifestyle. Nobody has to know. It's between you and God. Which day you choose or which meal. It's between you and God. But it has to be factored in. If you have to survive what is here upon us. And what is coming. It'll get words and words and words. Don't worry. Omicron is nothing. They already decided till Omega. And maybe more. Already the only thing like they said. came six months early. The date was July. But it came in November. They already planned this all out. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Then everything that can be shaken, the Bible says, no, I want to give you one more verse. I think I gave you the last verse from Peter. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken. What should be our response? Second Peter 3.10 and 11. 3.10. Yeah. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which heavens will pass away. This is the end, the day of the Lord. Melt with fervent, both earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. In verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to? What are we looking at? Be serious. Be serious. Not doing. What manner of people should we be? Today's title is Be Humble. It's becoming something. If this is what is coming, it's already been prophesied. Scripture cannot be broken. It is just getting closer and closer. The Bible says, what kind of people should you be? What kind of people should you be? And we have learned, be repentant, be sanctified, be humble, be, be. It's not doing. It's becoming these things. When you become humble, that day can come upon you like the thief. It won't come like a thief in the night. It will come upon the proud like a thief in the night because Thessalonians makes it very clear. You are children of light. It will not catch you unawares if you are walking in the light, meekness, humility before God. You won't be surprised when it comes. You won't be surprised. So it's about becoming somebody. Becoming somebody. That's the whole thing. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, we just thank you. We praise you. We worship you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We just thank you, Lord. Yes, Father, this is a battle. We have to battle that old man every day of our life. For the spirit contends against that old man, that flesh. And the flesh contends against that spirit. For they are at enmity with one another. The old man in me thinks about what I feel, what I think I will do. But the new man says... Lord, what do you think? What do you want me to do? What do you feel about it? Lord, it's not my will, but your will, Lord. Help us one day at a time, one day at a time to humble ourselves, Lord.
for everything that is happening in our lives, everything that's happening around us, for your elect, it is to see that we humble ourselves so that we can receive more grace to overcome all the wiles of the enemy. For the devil has come with great wrath, as your word says, for he knows his time is very short. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to use these keys, these secrets, revealed secrets in your word to build up our inner man. Commit everybody into the hands, Lord. Be with us through this day, the evening session, the worship practice. Commit everything into the hands. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.